0: Christchurch, New Malden, 15th of December 2019, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series Looking to the Coming of Jesus, Malachi. Well, there are few worse things than an anticlimax. Those times when we're awaiting something really eagerly, something that we think is going to be really special, and then it turns out to be much less than we expected. Now, it can sometimes happen with holidays. People can be really looking forward to some tremendous holiday and then the weather lets them down or the accommodation is awful and uh, it really is one big anticlimax. Perhaps more seriously, it can happen when people gain a particular job or a promotion, something they've been really looking forward to getting and they think it's going to change everything. It can happen with retirement. People very often can long for a certain thing to happen, thinking it will bring them happiness and liberation, and sometimes the very thing that they're longing for turns out to be a massive anticlimax. And that is the setting of the book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Malachi spoke to God's people around about 100 years after they had returned from exile in Babylon. Babylon. And if you've read Isaiah and the earlier prophets, or you're familiar with them, you can see why the people of Israel thought that the return from Babylon was gonna be the start of a golden age. The age when God would restore to Israel everything that had been taken from them. And around about 50 years after they went into exile, the Babylonian empire was replaced by the Persian empire and the Jewish people were allowed to return They were allowed to rebuild the temple that symbolized God's presence amongst them. Later on, under Nehemiah, they were allowed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But as we read the so-called post-exilic literature in the Old Testament, as we read books like Ezra and Nehemiah, we see an unmistakable sense of anticlimax. God's people face immense challenges, and they're encouraged to respond to them, and they're protected as they do so. But in every case, the result isn't really the wonderful thing that they'd hoped for. It's all strangely, and sadly, and frustratingly, somewhat of an anticlimax. And perhaps, if you're honest, your Christian life can sometimes feel a little bit like that. A bit of a letdown. One of the things that I noticed when I first came to Christchurch 16 years ago are the increasing number of factors that happen when people first become parents, particularly in this area, that help to draw them further towards God. So when people first have children uh, in this area in particular, finding meaningful, meaningful local community suddenly becomes a lot more important Up until children have arrived, they've been able to sort of travel here, there and everywhere, networking all over the place. Suddenly children arrive and they sort of need local community quite a bit more than they have previously. They also suddenly want to locate or reconnect with the sort of values that they want for their child. And above all, these first-time parents have what I often describe as a sort of God moment, as they witness new creation occurring right in front of them, and they're therefore drawn, however vaguely and hesitantly, further towards God as a result. We had a couple come for the first time this morning uh, to the 9.30 service, and all of those things appeared to be true for them. And engaging with those factors and combining it with a very strong sense of welcome to this church is basically what our 9.30 service is all about. But it took me several years before I then recognised here at Christchurch that the reverse of all of those factors can also happen to people, most obviously when their children have grown up. So, a number of Christians in their 50s in particular experience the opposite of those factors that I've just referred to. They no longer really feel the need to invest in local community and can become quite withdrawn from it. They're often rather disappointed that the Christian values that they've sought to follow, or think that they've sought to follow, haven't bought the payback that they had hoped for. And all of this, together with their children becoming more independent, most obviously, very often contributes to an absence of God moment. In overall terms, God hasn't appeared to deliver on what he promised. And they're therefore left with a sense of spiritual emptiness and, yes, anticlimax. And sadly, that's the age range within which we see the largest drop off from this church. It's not, of course, limited to people in their 50s. People at any age, well below that, and sometimes well in front of it, can feel that God simply hasn't delivered on those things that He's promised. And what we see throughout the book of Malachi is God's engagement with this disillusionment. Much of the prophecy of Malachi forms a series of disputes between God and his people. As God first declares something to be true, Israel questions whether that can be the case, and then God responds and has the final word. And What eventually emerges from this engagement, and the reason that we're looking at the prophecy of Malachi during Advent, Is the revelation from the prophet that the answer to these problems will be found by God doing something dramatically new, something that we believe is fulfilled in the coming of his son Jesus Christ. But before that, and this was reflected particularly in our first reading, much of the prophecy of Malachi is spent exposing the sin that kept Israel away from God. So near the start of Malachi, in the first part of what we had read from Lily this morning we see Israel doubting God's love rather than accepting that the covenant God has chosen them. I have loved you says the Lord but you ask how have you loved us? And that really sets the tone for a lot of the skepticism from the people of Israel that goes through this book of Malachi. The sections that follow show the various ways in which Israel has failed to be faithful to God. So they're accused of things like defiling God's temple by bringing blemished animals, less than perfect animals by a long way, to God as sacrifices. They're accused as well in uh, the second chapter of breaking their covenants with one another as well as with God, most obviously in terms of marriage. And they're accused of robbing God of his due rather than bringing to him the tithes or the tenths of their produce that were expected of them in all sorts of subtle ways they're evading their responsibilities before God in other words Malachi is saying the reason for the lack of blessing that the Israelites are enduring is because of their lack of wholeheartedness In their response to God it's far more to do with that than anything to do with God who remains committed to them so look if you're able to at uh, chapter 3 verse 9 page 962 you're under a curse God says the whole nation of you because you're robbing me bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour upon you so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The reason for Israel's lack of blessing, God was saying through Malachi, lay in the faithless and half-hearted response that Israel had made to God. Return to me, we see in verse 7 of chapter 3, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and I will return to you. But the people of Israel hadn't done this. And the tragic thing is that when the people of Israel realized that God was no longer with them, certainly in an obvious sense, it was simply the result of years and years of them no longer being with him. It's a little bit reminiscent of the story of Samson in uh, an earlier part of the Old Testament. You'll probably remember the story of Samson, the one with the long hair, who when it was cut off, Uh, then got into disaster. When we look at the story of Samson in those chapters of Judges, those three chapters, chapters 13 through to 16, when we read them carefully, what we see in that story is that Samson sits loose to virtually every single command of God that he was meant to obey until not having his hair shaved off because of a particular vow made for him at birth was just about the only thing left. And when that finally occurred, when Delilah cut off his hair while he uh, was asleep and left him vulnerable to the Philistines, there's a key line that occurs at that point, a very chilling line in the story of Samson. And it just says this, But he did not know that the Lord had left him. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. If we constantly sit lightly to God's commands, if we repeatedly presume on his grace, if we're consistently half-hearted in our response to him, then we might seem to get away with it for a while, Samson appeared to get away with it for a while, but the eventual outcome is God's absence from us. And sadly, the mid-life Christian crisis that I referred to earlier does have, if truth be told, quite a lot to do with living in a thoroughly secular manner for years and years, and then suddenly discovering the absence of God and feeling in many cases massively let down when that lifestyle doesn't deliver on what it promised. In many ways it's a replay of that parable of the barns that Jesus told in Luke 12 where that man spent all of those years building up more and more and more so that he could eventually relax and enjoy it all only to die before that could happen. Now it is possible that we don't do enough from the pulpit here at Christchurch to challenge that approach to life. Because it is really the narrative by which people live overwhelmingly in New Morden. That you spend your time building up more and more so you can eventually enjoy it. And I don't, in all honesty, think that the Christian response is really, in New Morden, really that different and distinctive from that. Perhaps we should do more to challenge that narrative because of course it doesn't fulfill on what it promises anyway. Malachi makes it quite clear the link between this half-heartedness and the people's sense of anticlimax and feeling let down in their relationship with God. So it's a sobering book Malachi. That finishes the Old Testament. But thankfully, that is not the end of the story. Thankfully, we're not just left with that very negative message. Because according to Malachi, the true climax of the story of Israel and God's salvation was going to be a mighty act of God Himself. First, God would send a messenger to prepare the way. And then Malachi says, Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking, will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. First, a messenger to prepare the way, and then God himself. He's talking about John the Baptist and then Jesus, isn't it? Around about 450 years before the coming of either of them, what Malachi is saying is that these problems are so severe That Israel won't simply evolve their way to God's promises being fulfilled. This will only happen through the coming of a second Elijah, that's mentioned right near the end of the book, before the great and dramatic coming of the Lord himself. And of course that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the fulfilment of this in the coming of Jesus Christ. But Advent is A time for preparing for this coming. Advent is a valuable gift given to us so that we can have time to prepare ourselves to engage with the coming of God in Jesus Christ. So with the help of this Book of Malachi, three questions for us this morning as we reflect on its message. This is the first question. Have we drifted into expecting our path to God's blessings to simply evolve, rather than happening through the dramatic appearance of God himself. What I mean is this, the incarnation of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas time is about God coming to this earth in Jesus Christ. But Ascension and Pentecost are about that present of God in Jesus being permanently present and available to us through the Holy Spirit. It's about that presence of God being permanently accessible. The ascension isn't about the absence of Jesus, it's about Jesus ascending into heaven so that he can be everywhere through his Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost and we live after both. Now, if we're going to keep on track with God in our lives, we therefore need to be constantly seeking to encounter The presence of God. Is that something that we're constantly seeking? As we come through the doors into this church on a Sunday, is that something that we're actively seeking to meet with God's presence? As we perhaps belong to a smaller group during the week, we might be uh, members of a home group or we might come to Connections or Women's Own or one of the other groups that we run here at Christchurch. Are we actively seeking to connect with God's presence. In all the busyness, particularly if we're involved in the leadership of groups, it's very easy not to to say that prayer. It can just be an arrow prayer as we come in through the building. Heavenly Father, help me to encounter your presence this morning. When we read the Bible and pray by ourselves, hopefully that's a habit that we can either uh, continue or, or develop for the first time during this Advent. But are we seeking to really encounter God's presence. When we've been a Christian for a while, it is very easy to drift into thinking that we can just evolve in the direction of the fulfillment of God's promises for us. But actually what we need is an urgent pursuit of God and his presence. And that's the antidote to a spiritual anticlimax occurring within our lives. All of us can just drift, but that's where Advent is a real gift. Advent is a real gift to us to convey to us the importance of reconnecting with a real determination to freshly encounter God's presence. Return to me, Malachi says, or God says through Malachi, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That's a firm promise that is made to us. However much we might have drifted or gone off the boil or whatever it might be, God is still there for us. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So that's the first question. Second, have we recognised that encountering that presence of God isn't just about comfort and reassurance, but it's also about deep challenge? Look at chapter t- uh, verse 2 of chapter 3. Malachi has just spoken about the coming of God, but then he says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears, for it will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. When John the Baptist uh, looked ahead to the coming of Jesus, he said this, I baptise you with water, but one is coming after me who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. God's presence comes to us, not just to give us a warm, comforting, Christmassy feeling, but to cleanse us. Now that supremely happened when Jesus died on the cross for us. But regular cleansing is still an important, ongoing part of our relationship with him. But can we endure that? Are we prepared for that? Are we open to that? Are we open to the fact that God may want us to encounter him during this advent, not just to give us a comforting sense of reassurance, although that may well be Uh, The thing you need. But are we prepared for God to encounter us in a way where He wants to refine us? He wants to wash us a bit more clean. That can be painful and it can be difficult and it requires humility. But are we prepared for that encounter if that is God's will for us during this Advent? Are we prepared to prepare for the coming of Jesus by reflecting further on those parts of our lives that God really does want to cleanse? It might be that we've drifted into being a bit bad-tempered. It might be that we've drifted into being um, a little bit intolerant or selfish in a particular type of way, for all of us, me included. There will very definitely be ways in which God will be wanting to refine us and wash us and that will be part of the encounter with the living presence of God that he wants for us during this Advent. Are we, are we prepared for that? Can we stand that coming? And third, it's worth thinking about who might be the messengers preparing the way ahead that God is sending for us. Malachi's statements about God's messenger who will prepare the way that is sending uh, when he talks about the prophet of Elijah coming, they've been uh, taken by the New Testament writers in particular, rightly to refer to the coming of John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And on this third Sunday of Advent, traditionally the third candle on our wonderful Advent wreath. Thanks very much to those who've decorated the church, by the way, so fantastically we are so grateful for everything you've done. But that third candle represents traditionally uh, John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for Jesus. But God still sends us messengers to help prepare the way for us to freshly engage with his coming. And sometimes, rather like John the Baptist, they come in an unexpected form. And are we prepared for that during this Advent? Are we prepared to look out for those voices, perhaps from surprising directions, that might be speaking to us, calling us to prepare for a deep encounter with the presence of God in Jesus Christ this Christmas time? God's coming is the supreme encounter that we need to prepare for, but John the Baptist had an important preliminary role, didn't he? And there can be people, sometimes, as I say, from surprising directions that God places there to say things or do things which we need to note and which can draw us further towards encountering God in Jesus Christ this Christmas time. Now I want to emphasize, in case it's misunderstood, that dark times in our lives don't always indicate that we've drifted away from God. That poster that you sometimes see outside churches, Nathan tends to liberate us from these sort of posters because he's so good at doing alternatives. But that poster that says, if God seems far away, who's moved? That is a misleading poster, and that is not helpful for people to see because it says to anyone suffering from depression, (laughs) sort yourself out because you've drifted away from God. So I don't want to make the point that dark times in our lives always indicate that we've drifted away from God. The Bible makes it quite clear, not least in the story of Job, that this sometimes happens for reasons that have nothing at all to do with disobedience. But it's nevertheless very possible to lack, for lack of ongoing investment in our relationship with God to lead to a massive sense of spiritual anticlimax in our lives. And it's serious when this happens. The most troubling thing is that, quite often, it can be there under the surface for quite a long time with the politeness and the um, superficiality which sometimes our relationships are afflicted by, not allowing it to be really responded to until it can almost be too late. People can also blame God for this quite commonly. That's what the people did. In Malachi's day, they blamed God for that lack of his presence, for that spiritual anticlimax. And I see this very, very often in my ministry here at Christchurch. People who feel an absence of God in their lives and are very angry with him for that. But very often, there hasn't been that investment in their relationship with God for really a very significant time before. That sense of anticlimax occurs. So let's be challenged to use this Advent to really respond to this danger. Let's use the remainder of this Advent to really prepare for God's coming in Jesus Christ. Maybe through putting aside a bit more time to reflect on our obedience to him on whether we really are being as wholehearted in our response to God as he calls us to be. And if we can do that, then we can be sure of that promise that God makes, return to me and I will return to you. We'll be putting ourselves back on the road to God's wonderful transformation and renewal. Amen.